You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. 7A. What number is this, Chip? 7A. Okay, no, I mean, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short, I know. Oh, I could hide neath the wings of the bluebird as she sings. The six o'clock alarm would never ring. Hello and welcome to In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the Marvel Comics series, The Nom. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. And this time around, I'm taking a look at issue number 23 of the book, which takes place in December 1967 and has a bit of a holiday feel to it. But our song this time out is Daydream Believer by the Monkees, a song that was number one on the hot Billboard Hot 100 for most of December 1967 and features the vocals of Davy Jones. Considering the topic of this time out, I think this is pretty appropriate. By the way, this song will always remind me of the episode of Pop-Up Video from the late 90s that featured Daydream Believer, but because of the way uh, the producers put Davy Jones' dance moves side-by-side side with Axl Rose's in Welcome to the Jungle. Anyway, The Nom Issue 23 came out on June 28, 1988. It was cover dated October 1988. The title of the issue is Blue Christmas, and the credits are Doug Murray, writer, Wayne Van Zant, penciler, Frank Springer, inker, Phil Felix, letterer, Mark Chiarello, colorist, Mark Chiarello, colorist, Don Daly, editor, Larry Hama, consulting editor, Pat Redding, managing editor, and Tom DeFalco is your editor-in-chief. The cover was by Pepe Moreno and features a pretty blonde woman in a Santa hat and army jacket, not much else, striking a sexy pose on stage. It's, it's all right. Definitely gets your attention, but the look on her face is a little stiff, to be honest. Inside, we begin in December 1967 in the back end of an ambush patrol. It's night, and the boys of the 23rd are looking up at the moon, commenting on how pretty it is when, when they start talking about how it's Christmas. Phillips wanders off and sneaks up on Ader, who has been on guard duty. He's able to get the drop on him and chastises him for zoning out, and even goes so far as to say he doesn't care if Ader buys it, but there are other guys he's in charge of. Ader apologizes, and Phillips walks away, and Pig comes up to him, reminding him that Phillips is trying to keep him alive, and that he's just a little cold about it. He then relieves Ader, who oversleeps the next morning. They begin humping it back, and Rubino is back, happy to get back to his Elvis records, well, until he steps into a trap. Clark tells Phillips that one of the spikes that Rubino stepped on punctured an artery, and he's having a hard time stopping the bleeding, so they need to get on. Phillips gets the men into position and they knock down some trees to create a landing zone. The choppers show up and as they're about to land, Pig spots a snake near Ader and Ader reacts by shooting at it. The chopper pilot interprets this as something being wrong and they bug out. Phillips grabs the gun out of Ader's hand and orders the guys to get that chopper back. Pig's a little cooler about it and tries to offer him some advice and calm him down. He finds the snake telling him that's an Asian two-step. Phillips lays into Ader about firing around when there's a chopper on its way, not unless some, everyone else's lives depend on it. Several days later, it's Christmas Eve, and Ader is moping in the hooch reading some Marvel comics when a couple of the guys talk about going to see Chris Noel, who, according to one of them, makes Anne Margaret look like a boy. They decide to head to the club and check it out as he's leaving. Pig asks Ader if he's going. Ader says, well, he'd rather stay back and read. Pig says that they should go, and when they get to the club, Daniels tells Ader that he'd better watch his asp. 
get it. Chris Noel comes out on stage and the guys hoot and holler and cheer. After the show's over, Ader he- heads out by himself and wonders aloud why nobody likes him. Pig finds him and asks him if he's running away. Ader tells Pig that thanks for everything, but he wants to be alone for a little while. Pig says, all right, if that's what you want. Several minutes later, someone else approaches. Ader thinks it's Pig, but it's Chris Knoll. She sits down next to him and asks him if he's okay. He says that the guys just don't seem to care, and she says that you'd be surprised at how hard it is for guys in the Nam to make friends, especially when they're worried about whether or not one of their friends will buy the farm and are afraid of being alone or losing a friend. She tells him to be patient because these things take time. Chris then tells Ader to walk, walk, walk her to her chopper because she's got other troops to see, many with bigger problems than his. She reminds Ader that things take time and patience and then kisses him full on the lips before wishing him a Merry Christmas and getting on the chopper. Later, the guys talk about how awesome the show was while Ader sits in the bed reading Thor. Daniel sits down on his bed and finds a snake and he flips out. Pig picks up the snake and says, It's dead, man. I thought we trashed this earlier out in the bush. Wonder how it got here. And Ader smiles. This is an issue where I like the story, but I don't like the art. Uh, I don't blame Wayne Van Sant for this because, as I've said in previous episodes, he's a great penciler, and when he's inked by Jeff Isherwood, the art really gels. However, here he's not, and I think that Van Sant probably did some lighter pencils because Frank Springer's inks don't really work that well. And there's a there are a lot of panels with very little background to them, something I think we had, uh, had we the regular art and coloring team would not have happened. In fact, this is one of those only times where I'm going to say this, but this would have really really been a good issue for Michael Golden. Uh, We have a nice jungle scene followed by a lot of downtime, and Golden's the type who could give each character's facial expression just what they need during these downtime scenes to get the levity and the emotion that Murray's trying to get across from his script. It's a nice little Christmas story about a guy who's having a hard time in the war. Ader's a character we haven't seen a lot of at this point, having been relegated more or less to the background. And while we get stories about Clark, Phillips, Rob, or Bino, and all these others, um, it seems that Murray is doing his best to use this next year's worth of stories to introduce all the different characters in addition to showing all of us the various aspects of the war. We haven't seen much in terms of entertainment from back home, aside from the occasional movie. And it's nice to see uh, USO celebrity appearances, because the USO has been doing this sort of thing for decades. I'll get into the specifics of Chris Noel later, but it's kind of cute how the down-on-his-luck guy gets a kiss from the beautiful woman and also does her best to help him understand why the guys around him treat him like such crap or ignore him. Phillips isn't a hard-ass because he hates him per se, but because he obviously feels the responsibility of keeping all of his men alive and is probably trying to give Ader some tough love. Daniels? Daniels is just a jackass but pig's a nice guy and obviously sees how outcast ader feels and he tries to help which is nice to see as well and it's refreshing in a way to see that not everyone in the army got along (laughs) it doesn't make i know that doesn't make sense it doesn't sound good but it's not you know there's a brotherhood that exists among soldiers but at the same time it's not always brotherhood there's conflict because these people are individuals with personalities and that is important. Granted, they're not fighting with one another. They're not trying to kill one another. But group dynamics are what they are. And I'm glad Murray gets a chance to show us how isolated a person can wind up feeling in a place like Vietnam. And he gets Daniels back with a snake, which is pretty awesome anyway. When I get back, I'll talk about historical context, letters, and ads. This book 
is to be neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all an adventure. For death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It will try simply to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped shells, were destroyed by the war. This July 28th, In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics' The Nom, presents All Quiet on the Western Front. I'm Tom Panneries, and to commemorate the centennial of the First World War, I will be dedicating a special episode to Eric Maria Remarque's all-time classic war novel. Along with the look at the novel, I will discuss two film adaptations, and then take a quick glance at poetry and songs of the war to end all wars. That's this July 28th at incountry.podomatic.com. So, a few specific notes before getting into the history about December of 1967. First, the Asian two-step is a nickname for the many-branded crate, a snake found in Southeast Asia. Here's what Jamie James, who's the author of a book called The Snake Charmer, has to say about it. No snake kills with more ruthless efficiency than the many-banded crate, which dwells in the jungles of India and Southeast Asia. Drop for drop, its venom is the deadliest of any land serpents, apart from a few rare species found only in the outback of Australia. One bite of the crate carries enough concentrated toxin to kill two dozen grown men. American soldiers during the war in Vietnam called it the two-step snake in the belief that its venom is so lethal that if it bites you, you will fall dead after just taking two steps. That's an exaggeration, but the bite of a many-banded crate is astoundingly potent. The venom is a neurotoxin, which means it disables the victim's nervous system like yanking an electrical plug out of the socket. Death comes when the neurotransmission ceases. With no instructions to breathe, the muscles of the diaphragm are still and the victim asphyxiates. The comics, by the way, that Ader has shown reading were all covered dated December 1967, and while I was giving the art team a little grief for their lack of detail, they actually make the comics discernible on page 18. A Looks at Mike's Amazing World says, They are Fantastic Four number 69 by Ben Betrayed. The Mighty Thor number 147, The Wrath of Odin. Strange Tales number 163 featuring Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Doctor Strange, and the Dragon Cried Death. Tales to Astonish, number 98, featuring Submariner and Hulk, to destroy the realm eternal. Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, number 49, on the road to Tarawa. An Amazing Spider-Man, annual number 4, the web and the flame. And you really, you look closely enough at the sketch covers on Ader's bed, and the comics actually look all like those books. That was how I was able to pick off the covers. Chris Knoll is actually an actress. She's an actress most notable for being a late 1960s sex symbol and appearing in, well, Beach Blanket and other B-level type of movies. But what is more important is that since visiting a VA hospital in 1965, Chris began working with veterans and veterans' causes and still does so. Here's what her website bio says about her work with veterans. In 1965, Chris joined the governor of California, baseball legend Sandy Koufax, and others touring in Letterman Hospital in California. Chris put on a happy face while visiting the gangrene ward, but the condition of the Vietnam vets she saw there shocked her deeply. It was a life-changing experience. Chris vowed to do something about to help our servicemen and fulfilled her vow when the Pentagon hired to do a daily, hour-long radio show broadcast to our troops in Vietnam and around the world. 
Her AFRTS radio program was called A Date with Chris. She opened each program by cooing High Love from 1966 to 1969 as the war raged. Chris went to Vietnam personally, making popular tours that brought a much-needed quote-unquote touch of home to our fighting forces in remote locations thousands of miles from home. As the war wound down, Chris noticed that many veterans were being displaced, disrespected, and turned away from employment. They fell into unfortunate circumstances, and thousands ended up homeless and hopeless. In 1991, she opened Chris Knowles' Vetsville Ceasefire Home, a shelter for homeless American veterans of Vietnam and the Gulf War, as well as the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. To this day, Chris continues to lift up fallen veterans, helping them gain their lives and self-respect. She continues to attend vet-related events such as Rolling Thunder, a massive gathering focusing on POWs and MIA soldiers held annually in Washington, D.C., as well as numerous other events across the country. As for December 1967, on December 4th, four days of protest begin in New York City. Among the attendees is Dr. Benjamin Spock. Spock and Allen Ginsberg are arrested on December 5th. Also on December 4th, U.S. and South Vietnamese forces engage Viet Cong troops in the Mekong Delta. 235 out of 300 Viet Cong are killed. On December 6th, the U.S. reports that the Viet Cong murdered 252 civilians in the hamlet of Dak Son. On December 23rd, 1967, President Johnson visits Vietnam for the last time in his presidency. Here's what the History Place has to say about it. Upon arrival in Cam Ranh Bay in Vietnam, President Johnson declares, All the challenges have been met. The enemy is not beaten, but he knows that he has met his master in the field. This is the president's second and final trip to Vietnam during his presidency. By year's end, U.S. troop levels reach 463,000 with 16,000 combat deaths to date. By this time, over a million American soldiers have rotated through Vietnam, with the length of service for draftees being one year, most Americans serving in support units. An estimated 90,000 soldiers from North Vietnam infiltrated into the South via the Ho Chi Minh Trail in 1967. Overall, Viet Cong slash MVA troop strength through South Vietnam is now estimated up to 300,000 men. In non-Vietnam war-related war news, uh, December 3rd, 1967, is the first heart transplant performed in South Africa. Incoming this month, Claudia Guertin of Worcester, Mass, uh, talks about how her father was called to Vietnam around 1970. She and she relates a little bit of her experience. She was a he, her dad was a parachute rigger. He performed helicopter rescue missions, um, usually constantly scared and living on adrenaline. And that's all, and he doesn't really talk about his experience. And she says, when he returned, I didn't want anything to do with him. I thought he went away because I was bad and he didn't like me anymore. One year to a five-year-old is a lifetime. And I asked him only one question at his homecoming, innocently. Did you kill any people? It was the first and only time I ever saw my father cry. Because of this, I thought I was a really bad girl and not worthy of my father's love. So I decided I wouldn't like him either. Since then, almost 17 years have passed. During that time, my father and I never got along, though God knows he tried. I was his favorite of five children, and he did his best to give me everything I ever wanted. Nothing stopped my intense dislike for him, through, though, until one day my husband, himself a veteran of Beirut and Honduras, brought home issue number one of the NAM. It touched something deep inside me, and I couldn't wait until the next issue. By issue number seven, I had a better standing, and on my father's birthday, I wrote him this card. Dear Daddy, Vietnam was a long time ago. Thank you for keeping yourself safe and coming home to me. I really do love you very much. Love your best girl, Dee Dee. You truly will never realize just how much your magazine did for me and my dad. You gave him back to me after almost 17 years. 
Vietnam did a lot of damage on the home front, too. Maybe one day you could do an issue on how this police action affected the wives and children. I would love to give it my, to my dad on his next birthday. God bless you so very much, Dad, and I have a lot to catch up on. And then um, Doug gives her best wishes. Jeff Lacasse of Lampock, California, has a couple of things. He says, FNG, which is the word for greenies, or greenies, uh, the NNG stands for new guys. Does F really mean what it, he thinks it means? Uh, he says that these guys see an awful lot of combat. He says, I know you have to keep it exciting, but does the average soldier really see this much combat? And he says, I heard the common phrase of soldiers leaving Vietnam was, you're going to miss Charlie. They would miss the feeling of the hunt, the excitement of pulling the trigger. Is that true? Doug says, you're right, the Vietnam troops did not generally see as much combat as we show in the NOM. It's quite true that most people's view of the war was months of boredom punctuated by moments of terror. Still, it is necessary to have some action in the comic, otherwise we'd certainly lose some of our readers. As for missing Charlie, it is all too often true, and the reason why many Vietnam vets are thought to be crazy... There's a bunch of psychological studies on the phenomenon. Rich Madden of Bayville, New York, uh, writes about Platoon... Uh, and he says he was very moved by its portrayal of life in the Bush during the Vietnam War. Today he sat down in the last three issues of the NOM, which he pulled aside for a couple of months. He said they were marked by some similarities in scenarios, co- coincidentally or by design, or because both stories, film and comic, were directed by someone who was there. The comic had a strong effect on him. Uh, he says, I became very caught up personally. And the clashes in the comic was, wasn't surprised when the brown bar was fried to the conclusion. Uh, so this would have been issue 19. Or 18. And then he goes on, he says, uh, one thing lacking from the comics is a historical look at the overall picture, but I now but I now believe this is not what you're trying to do. You're trying to get over what it was like for the soldier in the war, um, and it probably didn't mean a lot to them what the broader picture was. He likes that Wayne Van Sant has done a good job at replacing Michael Golden. Uh, and he says, you know, this this is a superior comic. Uh, that was sorry. That was Malcolm Bourne of London, England, because Rich Madden is the next letter, and he says a few weeks ago our social studies substitute of Vietnam vet was talking to us about a tour, his tour. A regular teacher is also a vet from '68 to '69. One of your letters a while back said there hadn't been enough action in recent issues. Mister Price said that when he was over there, sometimes he sometimes went for months without finding Charlie. I used to agree with that letter writer until now. I love it. This comic is more realistic than can be imagined. The movie Platoon really spread out over one year that's why there was a lot of action if a real movie was made about a real platoon most people would be bummed out and say it was boring even tour of duty a great show has a bit more action than actually happened our sub mr price had a special job he would enter a village before the military blew it up he would ask the villagers to give up or die he had an xvc and a couple of kids maybe nine to 17 years old with him maybe you could ask this add this to your story on the last page of number 17 rob asks andy what are we going to do and we see a shot of Andy's M16. I think that lieutenant is going to get fragged. One question. Did the soldiers get... How much did the soldiers get paid? Rich Madden of Bayville, New York. Dear Rich, how much soldiers got paid really varied according to rank and year. As an example, when I first got into the Army in 1967, I, a private, made $97 a month. Later, when I was a staff sergeant, I got a massive $465 a month in 1971. Not much, but after all, the Army supplied you food and shelter, or so they said. Nam notes this time around. Welcome, troops. Merry Christmas, even if it is June. Now sit back, get a grip on this stuff, and try to picture snow, Christmas trees, peace on earth, and all those elusive and wonderful things. Asian Two Steps, the name of the crate. Nickname of the crate, a highly poisonous blue-gray viper. Allegedly, if a crate bit you, death would come 
to you before you took two steps. Buy it or buy the farm is die. Charlie is Victor Charlie. Fire around is one shot, single cartridge. Clicks are kilometers. LZ is a landing zone. P.O.'d. He says angry at, although usually a little le- bit less politely than that. Because I guess the comics code won't let you say pissed off in a comic book. RT radio telephone the unit's length to headquarters. And he says, note, Chris Knoll is a real person, a Hollywood starlet who was touched by the Vietnam soldiers while in a USO tour and stayed to comfort them. Listening to her introduce those top 40 songs in her little girl voice on a hot night was something that made us feel good. Our ads this month on the inside, we have the Ultra Games ad. It says we'd like to shed a little light on our upcoming hits. One is for Defender of the Crown, an unbelievable movie like Adventure, which is a which is a night you have skate or die and teenage mutant ninja turtles the video game and this is the original video game not the arcade game because the sequel i believe was the arcade game and if you've ever seen the angry video game nerd episode about that if you haven't track it down it is flat out hilarious Look Ma No Wires, the Freedom Stick, wireless remote control kind of joystick for the, uh, that was compatible with Nintendo, Sega, Atari, and Commodore. This was one of those remote control things I don't think really ever properly worked. Remote control controllers for games just never, ever worked the way they were supposed to. New England Comics uh, has an ad. Nothing really special about that. We have the Westfield Company, finest discount subscription service. It has that little house thing. Canadian service is available soon, eh? East Coast Comics in Trenton, New Jersey. Same kind of list of this is what we have. Uh, Let's see. Koch, Dolgoff and Koch. 20, 20641st Street in Brooklyn, New York. Marvel's 1965-1969. Stockton, Depp, Giant Warehouse Sale. And there's just this whole, like... Uh, what you can get. Um, see if there's any. Let me look at the Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man, Ditko, 21-30, First Mary Jane for $15. Um, I don't know what 129 is not listed here. I'm curious as to what that is. $2 for a lot of these. This is, this is again, again, this is 10 years after this, so it's not... It's not that like crazy. Yeah, some there back then some of these were pretty good deals. So there you go. This is a hodgepodge ad. Space shuttle in 3D, general genuine hologram. You can get muscles. You can go to high school. It's free skaters catalog, dude. Captain O's making his O face again. This time let's let's pick up the calligraphy marker set for ten items. Or the Kodak Style Light Pocket Camera outfit for twenty items. Bullpen bulletins this month. More editorial stuff. Jeff Isherwood got married. And Jackson guys had a baby. And most of the stuff we've seen, the inside, the, the subscription has the, si- the same. We have a TSR to the inside cover. And Candelicious on the back cover. So that is it for now. Um, Next time around, I'll be back with nom number 24. And until then, thanks for listening. You have been listening to In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics' The Nom. 
The NOM and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and as this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes, and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which you can find at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com and may likely be read on the air as I occasionally do email-centric episodes or segments. Thank you for listening and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of The Nam.